We are delighted to have with us the founder and CEO of Answers in Genesis, Ken Ham. Welcome to Expositive Word, Ken. Hey, it's great to be with you. Oh, thank you so much, Ken. So many of our viewers are going to know who you are and what you do at Answers in Genesis. But just in case one or two do not, please feel free to introduce yourself and tell everyone about your brilliant ministry. Well, I'm the CEO and founder of Answers in Genesis, the Creation Museum and the Ark Encounter. Now, the Creation Museum and the Ark Encounter are the two leading Christian-themed attractions in the world that really make the Bible come alive in a particular way. But the overall ministry is Answers in Genesis, which is an apologetics ministry. Uh, that doesn't mean we apologize for our faith. Uh, it's quite the opposite. We give an apologetic, which means to give a logical reason defense of the faith. First Peter 3.15 says, always be prepared to give an answer or give a defense. And that word is translated from the Greek word apologia, which uh, we get our word apologetics from, which means to give that logical reason defense. And so we specialize in creation apologetics, general biblical apologetics, really dealing with the issues of today that are used to attack and undermine God's word. And there's a particular focus in this era, which I believe this era began in the 1800s, but there's been a particular attack on Genesis 1 yeah. to 11. Yeah. And so we specifically deal with that. But our ministry, our overall ministry, is really one of biblical authority. I mean, that's really who we are. Yeah. We certainly specialize in creation apologetics, but we would say that we are a biblical authority ministry. So we're really dealing with standing on the authority of God's word from the very first verse and de dealing with the attacks that undermine biblical authority in our time. And then the two attractions, the Creation Museum and the Ark Encounter, have exhibits that actually do this, but in three dimensions, yeah. so to speak. And so at the Creation Museum, we have a planetarium with a laser projection system and a 4D theater. And then we have all sorts of teaching exhibits. For instance, one of the big teaching exhibits really goes into where the Bible came from and how the canon of scripture came about and uh, how we know that this is the word of God and yes. so on. And then we walk people through the whole Bible. We present the gospel very powerfully. We have an insectarium. We have a two-story dinosaur exhibit the most powerful pro-life exhibit in the world. We just opened an exhibit on Israel at the time of Jesus. And then when you look at the Ark Encounter, the Ark Encounter has over 130 exhibits in three decks of the Ark yeah. that deal with all sorts of questions like, how could Noah fit the animals on the Ark? How could he feed them, look after them? Uh, is it feasible to build such a great big ship? And, and we have exhibits dealing with the Tower of Babel, post-flood, the Ice Age, and climate change. And of course, we present the gospel very, very uh, powerfully as well. And of course, we built the ark to size according to the cubits as given in the Bible. So it's one and a half times the length of a football field, half the width of a football field. And it stands uh, 51 feet high, which means uh, when it's built 15 feet off the ground, which it is, it's seven stories high in the midsection, 10 stories at the bow. Yeah. We have a zoo behind the ark that teaches kinds, and we have a lot of unique animals. It is really quite a, a wonderful zoo. We have a virtual reality experience where you sit in those seats that move, put on your virtual reality glasses, takes you back to the time of Noah. You feel like you're actually having a ride and we have yeah. zip lines. And so these are the two leading Christian themed attractions in the world. And when the borders are open, people come from all over the world. Yeah. Uh, right now, mostly people are from within the United States. But even so, we're seeing record crowds. Our post-pandemic crowds are bigger than our pre-pandemic wow, crowds. And that's given the fact that even the hundreds of bus tours that normally 
uh, come here haven't been doing that because bus tour companies all across the nation were shut down. Yeah. But uh, families are on the move in America, that's for sure. Yeah. And once the borders all open up, we expect visitors again from all over the world as well. Actually, Northern Kentucky, where the attractions are built, uh, that's now the biggest faith-based tourist destination in America because of the Ark and the Creation yeah. Museum. Yeah. Can you remember where you were when you come up with the idea of building a life-size Ark? Well... We were building the Creation Museum that opened in 2007. And while we're building the Creation Museum in 2004, we talked about what are we going to do next? And actually, that's when we talked about, well, what about Noah's Ark? Because over the years, one of the most asked questions is how could Noah get the animals on the Ark? And the flood was an integral event in history because the flood uh, is really the reason we have such a fossil record all over the earth. It also meant that eight people came off the ark and from the three sons of Noah, all the different people of the world today uh, are descended. So it's a very, very important event in history. And we talked about, you know, representing the size of the ark. And over the years, you know, we've used helium balloons at, at special Christian camps and so on, try to show, show the size of the ark. But that's when we said, well, what about if uh, as soon as we open the creation museum we build a life-size ark and yeah. it's quite a project because it's the biggest timber frame structure uh in the world and you see what the ark and the creation museum do is make the bible come alive in a particular way it's a different way of presenting god's word in the gospel and we get a diversity of people 30 percent non-christian who will come you know the ark is well known all over the world even though they have these bathtub arcs and gift shops and so on all over the world but it's well known and so even non-Christians are interested in the Ark. And, you know, there have been days where I've been at the Ark and I will see, uh, for instance, I saw one day I saw a group of Muslims from Baghdad uh, that were there, Orthodox Jews, uh, uh, Catholic nuns, uh, Amish, Mennonite, even Baptists and Presbyterians. How about that? And in other words, we see people from all different walks of life and different eth ethnic groups and, and they will come to the Ark and the Creation Museum. You'll see a mix of people at these attractions you don't see normally in church. Yeah. And that, that's the thrilling part of it. Yeah, for sure. Let's go back to the beginning. When did you become a Christian? And when did you first realise how important creation was to the Christian faith? Well, you know, I was raised up in a Christian home in Australia uh, with parents who stood on the authority of the word of God and uh, you know, we were transferred all around the state of Queensland in Australia and my parents started Sunday schools and they would bring in missionaries to be able to help reach people with God's word and the gospel. When I was 10 years old at a little country town called Innisfail in North Queensland at the Presbyterian Church there, they brought in a missionary from the open air campaigners and I was a part of the audience there with all the other kids that were there and this missionary had a challenge for those who wanted to do what the Lord wanted them to do and go where he wanted them to go. I think it was at that stage at about 10 years old when I was saying, yes, what my parents have taught me. Yes, I, I put my faith and trust in the Lord. And yes, I want to go where he wants me to go and do what he wants me to do. And I remember even signing a sheet of paper saying, I commit to do whatever God wants me to do and go where he wants me to go. And so, you know, that was, uh, that was a long time ago. That was like... <laughs> 50, 58, 59 years ago. And th th from there, you know, I, I didn't know what the Lord would do, obviously. I didn't know it would mean ended up in Kentucky, in America, and being with this ministry of answers and Genesis and building the two biggest uh, leading Christian themed attractions in the world. But you know what? You never know what God's going to do when you 
uh, say to him, I'm willing to do whatever you want me to do. Yeah. Is it true that you left Australia because of the size of the spiders and the snakes, Ken? Well, you know, there's a lot of animals in Australia that'll kill you. That is true. I mean, I think we have the most poisonous snakes, poisonous spiders, poisonous jellyfish, poisonous fish, poisonous <laughs> octopus. Uh, yeah, I think we have all that stuff. But uh, no, uh, actually, I never intended on leaving Australia. But uh, you know what? Uh, in the 80s, I was invited to come over and speak all across America uh, from the publisher of the Creation Apologetics books and the more I spoke over here, I realized if we're going to build a creation museum, because I had this burden to build a creation museum because of my school teaching days and seeing the secular museums from an atheistic evolutionary perspective. And I realized America was really the place to do it from. It was the center of the business world, the center of the Christian world. Now, America has become very much a pagan culture, uh, but there's still a big Christian base here. There's still a big remnant of Christians uh, here in America, and it is easier to get to from the rest of the world, whereas Australia is a little, you know, well, it's down under. <laughs> and so it's a lot further to go to. Yeah. We live in an age where the Bible isn't taught, even within some, you know, you mentioned it then, you know, within some Christian denominations. The Bible is secondary to feel-good messages and musical worship, Ken. Why is the Bible so important to Christians? And why have you made it your life's work to ensure that the biblical truth is taught regarding creation specifically? You know, sometimes I think a lot of Christians have the wrong idea about the Bible. You know, I've spoken in hundreds and hundreds of churches all over the world. I've spoken in all 50 states of America. I've spoken all across the United Kingdom and various places in Europe. Of course, spoken in, in Australia and many other countries as well. And one of the things I've noticed with a lot of the modern church, I think a lot of people have the idea that the Bible sort of some some sort of guidebook to life, a book about spiritual things, a book about moral things, relationships. But, you know, we've got to really understand what the Bible is. It is the word of God. And what does that mean? Well, Colossians 1, in Christ are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. God is infinite in power. He's infinite in wisdom. He's infinite in knowledge. What does that mean? Well, you think about it. Infinite in knowledge, it means we know next door to nothing compared to what God knows. And the Bible is the revealed word of God. So this is God's word to us. So the Bible is not just a book of stories, uh, not just a book of religious things. The Bible is actually a book of history. That's what it is. It's God's history book to us. And he has revealed to us the key events of history that are foundational to our worldview. So that's another thing I think a lot of Christians don't understand is that everyone has a way of thinking about the world. Where does that way of thinking come from? It's, it's called a worldview. Do you just pluck it out of the air? Do you pluck it out of the ground? I mean, where does it come from? Well, there's two foundations, ultimately. You either build your thinking on God's word, starting from the revealed word of God, who's given us the key information, so we have the right way of thinking, or you build it on man's word. Yeah. And when you start from God's word in Genesis, actually Genesis 1 to 11, you know, Genesis 1 to 11, a lot of Christian leaders will say it doesn't matter, it's not important, you can reinterpret it, believe in evolution. Actually, Genesis 1 to 11 is the foundation for everything. Everything. It's the foundation for the rest of the Bible. It's the foundation for your biblical worldview. It's the foundation for all doctrine. See, what we mean by worldview, you know, a lot of children's books, Sunday school materials will, will have things like this in it. Now, children, you can see that God made this world because it's such a beautiful world we live in. Can't you see there's a God? Well, they look out there and they see an ugly world. It's not a beautiful world. It's an ugly world. All the sin, all the evil things, the disease, the death, the suffering, all that we see. 
And you see, therein lies the problem because then the atheists say to them, oh, did you learn at church or at your home that God made this beautiful world? Yes. Well, look at it. It's ugly. It's not a beautiful world. How can there be a loving God? But had we taught them from the foundation in Genesis that this was a very good world, it was perfect ones. But now our sin messed it up. And as the Apostle Paul says in the New Testament, the whole creation groans. We would understand we're living in a fallen world because of sin. So we're looking at the world God made perfect, but now our sin has caused a mess. And therein lies a problem because many Christians will teach these young people, you can believe in millions of years. Well, if you believe in millions of years, the idea of millions of years came out of atheism and deism of the 1800s by people who rejected God, rejected the flood of Noah's day, reject the Bible and say the fossils were laid down millions of years before man, but fossils are dead things. And there's also evidence of diseases like cancer in those dead things in the fossil record. So if all that existed before man and you add it to the Bible, after God created man, he said everything he made was very good. That means God calls death, suffering, diseases like cancer very good. Not only that, if the millions of years is true, then the death, suffering, disease we see today, that's gone on for millions of years. No, the Bible says death is an enemy because of our sin. Mm. And so it's important to develop a true biblical worldview starting from God's word. And when you take that history in God's word, even the, the, the fact that God made Adam and Eve, only two people, we're all descendants of Adam and Eve, the event of the Tower of Babel forming different people groups would enable us to understand, oh, when we're looking at all the differences in people around the world, we're not looking at races because we're all one race. We're all one race, race biologically, yeah. but different people groups. So it's really important to understand that Genesis 1 to 11 is the foundation for our worldview and all doctrine. The doctrine of marriage comes from Genesis. Uh, where's the origin of death? Genesis. Sin. Genesis. Yeah. Why we wear clothes? Genesis. Why Jesus died on the cross? Genesis. Why we need a new heavens and a new earth? Genesis. It's interesting in the modern church, I find a lot of Christian leaders are more interested in revelation. They say Genesis doesn't matter. They are more interested in revelation and end times. I'm not saying revelation is not important, but revelation is not the foundation for the rest of the Bible. Genesis is. Revelation is not the foundation for your worldview. Genesis is. Revelation is not the foundation for all your doctrine. Genesis is. And yet much of the church has given up Genesis, which is one of the reasons why we've lost so many of the younger generations from the church. Let's be honest. The, the, the church in our Western world is in a mess. I mean, in England, what? In, the, in England alone, church attendance in general is down to about, what, 4%? Surely the church has to stand back and say something is dreadfully wrong. In America, church attendance used to be 70%. You go back many generations. Today, it's down to about 11% for the younger generations. So the church has to say, what have we done wrong? What are we not doing? Well, much of the church compromised God's word in Genesis and told generations of kids, just trust in Jesus, but they start to doubt God's word. That doubt leads to unbelief. They leave the church, become very secularized, and now we see a very secularized anti-Christian culture in our Western world. Yeah, yeah, so true. You've touched on it already. How old is the Earth, and how are scientists so far off the truth, Ken? Well, you know what's interesting is because you know we're a biblical creationist ministry and we believe uh, in a young universe of just thousands of years, not uh, millions of years, just about 6,000 years, a lot of people, you know, they sort of identify us as, oh, they're young earth creationists. And I don't really like being identified as a young earth creationist because the emphasis then is 
our whole emphasis is on a young earth and that's not true yeah. our whole emphasis is yeah. on biblical authority yeah. what we believe about the age of the earth is a consequence of how we take scripture that's what i want people to understand and and so you know there's even those that would say oh these people like ken ham say you've got to believe in a young earth to be saved well that's not true uh, the bible makes it clear salvation is conditioned upon faith in christ it's christ alone uh, for salvation, not what you believe about the age of the earth. And then they'll say, oh, well, that means you can believe in millions of years then, and it doesn't matter. Well, it does matter because then you're undermining the authority of the word of God and you're blaming God for death and suffering. So to answer your question, see, I take a long time to answer questions, don't I? To answer your question, how old is the earth? The only way you'd know if there was someone who was there who told us when things began and gave us a chronology that we could actually follow and add up the dates and there is one god who's always been there and he told us that he created the whole universe in six days and all life in six days and rested for one and the word for day the hebrew word yom used in context with evening morning number as it is in genesis one uh, they are obviously ordinary days in fact it's the basis for our seven day week that's where our seven day week comes from when an atheist believes in a seven day week just tell them that they're saying the Bible's true and Genesis is true. And so God made everything in six days. On day six, he made the first man, Adam. And then you go through and, and look at those genealogies he's given us. Adam had a son, Seth, in 130. Then it tells us when Seth had a son. And it goes all the way through to Noah, uh, had you know Ham, Shem, and Japheth. And then we come to the time of uh, Abraham and then to the babe in a manger and then up to the present. If you take that, uh, chronology as as written those genealogies add up the dates it comes to about six thousand years and of course you know there are some people that say well there could be gaps in the genealogies well in the new testament you've got summary genealogies there are gaps but in those old testament genealogies when you have a son at this age and then he had a son at this age and a son at this age they don't there's no gaps uh there at all and so we would say that the whole universe is about 6,000 years old based upon yeah. taking God at his word in Genesis. Yeah. There seems to be a growing censorship on Christians and particularly freedom of speech. Should we expect this to get worse? And if so, how should we be proactively preparing for this, Ken? Well, we've got to remember something. You know, there's no neutral people and there's no non-religious people. I mean, we have to understand the Bible says you're either for Christ or against. You walk in light or darkness. You build your house on the rock or you build your house on the sand, right? Everyone has a belief system and your belief system either is founded in God's word or man's word. Yeah. And so the, the problem we have today is a lot of people think that secular is neutral. No, secular is anti-God. And the more our culture becomes secularized, the more anti-God it will become. See, if you look at our whole Western world, our whole Western world was impacted by Christianity. I'm not saying, you know, America was a Christian nation, but it was very Christianized. The United Kingdom has been very Christianized. In other words, the Judeo-Christian ethic that actually came from the Bible permeated the Western world. And so even people who were non-Christians, many of them, most of them, held to a Judeo-Christian ethic, and they would believe marriage is a man and a woman and abortion is wrong, and there are only two genders in humans and so on and and you would have christian morality to say this is what's right and that's what's wrong but as generations of kids in in the western world have been secularized and 
uh, have been taught against the Bible and, and taught evolution as fact and millions of years and, and been taught a secular worldview. And as they've come to many of our churches that have also said, you don't need to believe Genesis, you can believe evolution millions of years, just trust in Jesus, Johnny. And they start to realize if the first part of the Bible's not true, how can the rest be true? And if you don't teach them Genesis 1 to 11 is the foundation, you have no foundation for doctrines like marriage or sin or understanding the gospel or anything else. Ultimately, they leave the church and they build a worldview consistent with their foundation that man determines truth. The more secular it becomes, the more anti-Christian it becomes. And as we've seen that veneer of Christianity ripped out of the Western world, and we've seen uh, the increasing secularization of the younger generations, we're seeing it becoming very anti-Christian. What, what's happening in our culture, you're seeing a clash of worldviews. Yeah. There are those that say, uh, for instance, I've had LGBT people say to me, okay, but you, you, you're intolerant as a Christian because um, you don't allow all views. And I say, well, what do you mean? And they say, well, you've got to allow all views in regard to marriage and gender. And I say to them, but you're not allowing all views. And they say, yes, we are. We allow all views. No, you don't. You don't allow my view based on the Bible that says there's only two genders, male and female. That's how God created them. And there's only one type of marriage, the marriage God created, male and female, as given in you know Genesis 1.27 and Genesis 2.24. And then they say, but you're being intolerant of, of, of our views. And I said, well, wait a minute, aren't you being intolerant of our views? We're allowing your views. No, you don't allow my view. And it's true, the view I have based on the Bible says your views are wrong, but you're not allowing that view. That's the clash you're seeing. Moral relativism versus absolutes based on God's word. And so, you know, we've got to understand as Christians that you're never going to get anywhere arguing up here. That's why, that's why LGBT people, et cetera, see it as hate speech. The real argument is down here at the foundational level, and you've got to direct the battle down there to help them understand my worldview starts from God's word. If you don't believe God's word, I get it. You're going to have a whole different worldview to me, but that's where we've got to discuss why do you reject God's word? Why do you think man can determine uh, truth? And that's where the battle is at, and we've got to get the battle down to that level, or we're never going to succeed anywhere. So increasingly, we're going to see antagonism against Christianity simply because you've got these two worldviews in total conflict. Um, as what I would say is what we're seeing in the Western world is what the real world is like. We're now seeing secular for what it really is. Secular in the past had a veneer of Christianity there inconsistently, but it did have a veneer of Christianity. Now that that's been ripped off, we're seeing secular for what it really is, and that is anti-God. Yeah. yeah. What are some of the most faith-strengthening facts that you've learned since being at Answers in Genesis that have made you sit back and just say, wow? <laughs> oh, everything. <laughs> uh, so, you know, all facts are interpreted on the basis of your worldview. That's, first of all, what we've got to understand. But, you know, the more that we have uh, studied in geology and biology and chemistry, just overwhelmingly, uh, we see that uh, science uh, in, in those areas confirms the Bible. I mean, when it comes to chemistry and biochemistry and so on, looking, looking at DNA, looking at uh, that molecule of heredity that builds life, you know, builds a human, builds a bear and an elephant and so on, 
uh, the more that we have studied DNA, we realize DNA is, it's like books of information. It's an information system. You know how many bits of information there are in living things? I mean, it's not just millions. It's not just billions. It's not just billions upon billions or trillions. It's much more than that. There are literally zillions of bits of information in living things on this planet. Do you realize that those who reject God say matter had to produce information? We've never seen matter produce one bit of information on its own. How did matter produce all these zillions of bits of information? Information only comes from information. It, it, it all fits with an intelligent creator created the information. Information is read by a language system, right? Languages can't be generated by chance random processes, only come from an intelligence. DNA has the information to make the language that reads the DNA and it's all gonna be there or it won't work. I tell you, the more you look at DNA, the more you look at information and language systems, the more you realize for those people who believe that life came about by natural processes, you know, it's impossible. It's absurd to believe that. And to believe that one kind of animal evolved into a different kind, I mean, that's absolutely absurd because what you're saying is over time, all this new information for new characteristics had to be generated by matter. Now, certainly we do see lots of changes within a kind. You see species of dogs and elephants and cats because God put great genetic diversity in the original kinds that he created. But there's no way one kind can change into a whole different kind. I mean, it's just absolutely impossible. And as we did the research for the Ark project of how many kinds of land animals uh, that God needed on the Ark, and when you looked at the, the various land animals and realized um, that most of them are related genetically uh, within a family, which means the family of dogs, Canada, is the kind. So you only needed two of the family on the ark that produced the different species after the ark. And the more you study all this and the more you look at the kinds, the more you realize evolution is impossible. In fact, evolution is absurd. Yeah, yeah. You've put together an incredible team of speakers under the Answers in Genesis banner. In the UK, we have Simon Turpin, who's doing a brilliant job. How did Answers in Genesis grow from being just you to the wonderful team that you have now, Ken? Oh, that's an interesting question. You know, when we opened uh, the Creation Museum and the Ark Encounter, uh, the secular media descended upon us. And we, we often have media there anyway. Uh, but one of the most asked questions I've been asked over time is how, how do you find all these talented people? Because the exhibits you see at the Creation Museum, the exhibits at the Ark, uh, we have our own internal designers. We have our own design studio. It's like going behind the world, uh, behind the scenes at Disney. If you go there, we have sculptors and we have fabricators and all sorts of artists and script writers and so on. And the, when you look at the rest of our staff, our research scientists, we have a number of PhD scientists uh, here. And in fact, uh, at Answers in Genesis and the Creation Museum in the Ark, we have 700 full-time staff and we employ about 600 seasonal staff and specialists in all sorts of areas. And when I've had the secular media say to me, where do you find all these people? My, my standard answer, and I really mean this, is, well, uh, Noah didn't have to go out and find all the animals for the ark. God brought the animals to Noah and God brought these people to us. And, you know, that's true. And what's happened is over time, for instance, when we were building the Creation Museum, uh, there was a, a designer who had actually worked for Universal Studios, worked in theme parks around the world, 
designing exhibits, brilliant designer. He's a Christian creationist. When he heard we were building a creation museum, came to us and he said, I, I heard about this in the news. Can I come and be exhibit designer? And then when he came there, there were others that he knew who said, well, we want to use our talents for the Lord. And as we're doing this, then there, there are people that contact us and say, well, I'm a scientist. And is there any place for me to be there? Because I want to use, use my science PhD to be able to tell people about God's word. And, and this is what has happened as we stepped out in faith to build the Creation Museum and the Ministry of Answers and Genesis. God keeps bringing these people to us. And in Northern Kentucky here, the collection of Christians that we have working at this ministry and we have our own horticultural section. We have our, our own maintenance and fabricators and electricians and plumbers and artists, you know, different sorts of artists and graphic designers and housekeeping and food specialists. And, oh, it just goes on and on and on. And yet God brought all these people together. It's really a miracle. It's really amazing. Yeah, amazing. Ken, thank you so much for your time. I could literally talk to you for a week. It's been so fun <laughs> talking to you. Thank you so much. Before you go, do you have any closing thoughts? And what's the best way for people to find out more about Answers in Genesis? Well, the best way to find out about Answers in Genesis, go to our main website, answersingenesis.org, answersingenesis.org. And we have a uh, United Kingdom uh, website, uh, you just have to click on United Kingdom there as well, or Australia um, uh, here in uh, the US. Uh, so you can find out about our attractions through there or go to arkencounter.com. And from there, you can link through to our Creation Museum uh, as well. And, you know, a closing thought for me would be, look, people need to go to our website, have a look at the articles that are there, all the resources, the books, the curricula we have there, and understand this ministry of answers in Genesis is not just a ministry about the age of the earth or the creation evolution issue. We're an evangelistic ministry on about biblical authority, proclaiming the truth of God's word and the gospel and giving answers to the attacks of our day and the skeptical questions that undermine the authority of God's word, particularly beginning in Genesis, because in our day, there's been a focused attack on the authority of God's word in Genesis 1 to 11. You know, 2 Corinthians 11, 3, the apostle Paul warns us, beware the devil's going to use the same method on us as he has on Eve to get us position of not believing the things of God. And what was the method he used on Eve? Genesis 3, 1, did God really say? Yeah. In other words, to get Adam and Eve to doubt God's word so that doubt would lead to unbelief. And the apostle Paul warns us, the devil's going to use the same method on us there's been attacks on the authority of the word down through the ages in this era that began in the 1800s with the popularization of millions of years for the age of the earth out of atheism and deism. There's been a particular attack and then followed with Darwinian evolution on God's word in Genesis. Much of the church has succumbed. And as they told generations, you don't need to believe Genesis, just trust in Jesus We've seen this exodus from the church as they realize if the first part's not true, how can the rest be true? If you don't teach them Genesis 1 to 11, no foundation for any doctrine. And therefore, marriage is whatever you want to make it to be. And so it goes. So moral relativism permeates the culture. And I believe the church and church leaders, because the majority of them have compromised God's word in, in our time, beginning in Genesis, they need to repent of that and get back to the word of God. So much of the church has resorted to entertainment through music and performance on stage. 
and, and uh, feelings are very subjective to try to keep people in church. Stand back and look, it hasn't worked because what they want is answers. They want to be taught the word. They want to know what to believe and why. We need to raise up generations who know how to stand on God's word without compromise and defend the Christian faith. Yeah, absolutely. We're going to make sure that we've got links to your websites and all of your social media accounts in the description below. So no matter where you're watching this or listening to this podcast, make sure that you check out the Answers in Genesis resources. Ken, thanks again for your time. I've really enjoyed it. Hopefully we can do this again sometime. Okay, thank you.